Let's do it. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Karen. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. And today we are sitting down with Sense Labs. Um, if you guys could go ahead and introduce yourselves. Sure. My name is Chris McCauley. I'm one of the co-founders of Sense and VV Products. Cool. My name is Joe Bamberg. I am the hardware lead. Excellent. All right. Um, cool. You look like you wanted to go right off the bat there, Chloe. Well, and because we always forget to do this, today oh, nice. we are recording from the Autodesk conference room of Greentown Labs, not the National Grids conference room, because we decided Just to change it up. away this advertising for free. <laughs> I can't believe we keep doing Hopefully this. one day they'll pay us for it. Native, <laughs> native advertising right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, once they see all that re sweet revenue coming in from their plug <laughs> on uh, Talk Clean to Me, they'll know they have right. to... Help us out. Cool. All right. So I'm thinking of changing it up a little bit. I do want to say to our listeners, I'm excited. One thing I'm really involved in in my work is building efficiency, and it's a big part of sustainability. 40% of all energy in the United States is used by buildings. Um, and this is our first kind of building efficiency uh, startup. So I'm really excited about that. I kind of wanted to jump right into it and do something a little different. Uh, Chris, why did you start a company? Uh... I, couple reasons. I mean, so one, I like doing a lot of different things and I like being hands-on. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm an engineer by trade, software engineer. And if you continue to write software at any large company, it becomes a career limiting thing because you are supposed to go into management. And, uh, you know, I like writing software. So I found that in small companies and startups in particular, doing some management, but then also still writing software is actually an asset instead of a hindrance to your career. So... Yeah, that's how I found myself in small companies, and that happened about 10 years ago, and I got bit by the bug, and I got ruined, and I can't go back. Having ownership and having some influence, too, like right. being able to actually steer what's, what you're working on, because right. it feels good when you get to see your decisions and the output and the product and people using it. Cool. Um, man, my volume's all over the place. Cool. Joe, so same question. I think what was Gusali, your, uh, Joe and I have a little history with his first foray into startups, I think. Was Gusali Labs your first? The first actual where I had any say in, in stuff was, was Gusali, yeah. You want to give us a little background on that? On Gusali? Yeah. Yeah, mind. so when I, well, I was at um, the company that got bought by Qualcomm, I started this company with, um, so the, where I was before Qualcomm was analog devices, and a, uh, another ex-analog guy and I, and actually three ex-analog guys and I, started Gusali based on... Um, on structural health monitoring and we actually won a uh, some kind of a competition that was sponsored by Fraunhofer and Shell Techworks here at Greentown Labs and so we ended up winning it was something like 10 grand in office space for six months and lab space for six months so mm -hmm. and uh, you put me through the rigors Joe <laughs> yeah I was on the other end of that competition that's when I was at Fraunhofer doing the uh, doing the judging for for programs like that and uh, some of the due diligence um, I still remember that conference call when you were deciding whether to accept us or not. <laughs> well, you passed. You <laughs> passed with flying colors. I guess if there's, I, I could never go back to uh, like a big company, but if there's any benefit to it, is that by just turning one nut or one bolt, you have a lot of uh, a lot of spare time. So that was 
one thing that really wasn't a challenge was finding time to, <laughs> to work on on so you were side underutilized. <laughs> yes, I, I, underutilized is an understatement for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was one of the nice things was that um, that I had a lot a lot of time to to be able to work on something that actually had meaning to me and that I had I had some say in, you know. So okay, cool. But this is not the Gusali Labs podcast. No, it is not. So I'd love to, and, uh, and this is my last one, Chloe. Before, I'm, I'm hogging all the questions. I'm sorry about that. But can you let's let's talk about Sense Labs. Like, what's your product? What's the value proposition? Sure. So we build a little box. It goes in your home's electric panel, uh, and we measure the power that comes into your house in a very high detail. Mm-hmm. And from that, we're able to figure out how much power every appliance in your house uses. But because we're doing that, we also know whether it's on or off. So we can answer things like, did I leave the iron on? Did I leave the oven on? Uh, how much TV did the kids watch last week? Because we're watching every <laughs> device that's in the house, uh, and, and we know the state of what's going on. So our purpose is that we want to attack climate change by giving people the tools to help reduce their energy impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're starting with knowledge of where your energy is going. Uh, but we realize that consumers don't really care about energy, so we're also focusing our message on home awareness and activity tracking and saving money uh, because just knowing how efficient your fridge is isn't very interesting to people, but knowing that they left it open and they're about to lose everything in their freezer or they left the iron on upstairs and it could be a a health problem, a fire problem, uh, is something you will go back into the app and check every week. So one example is, you know, if you've got a connected device in your house, you can have it trigger things, but with Sense, you can start triggering actions on things that aren't connected. So like your sump pump in your basement, if Sense can detect that, you can set up alerts. So when the sump pump goes on, there's water in my basement, I get a push notification, it'll tell me, oh, there's probably water in your basement. We just started shipping general availability in September. Uh, we, we actually announced that in January. We started shipping in September in parallel with our announcement of Series A of $50 million. And are they all in the Northeast, or are they? No, they're all all, all over the, the U.S. Yeah, we're U.S. only today, but they're we're in forty nine of fifty states, I think. So tell us tell us about that that rollout. I mean, it's it's quite a transition to go from just working on something in the lab to trying to get it out to hundreds, long time. hundreds of users, right? Like, what are the what are the oh, major yeah, pitfalls? How do you find those people? How do you get them to pay for it? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, so. It's taken a fairly deliberate approach. Uh, I mean, I think there's a trend right now for people to go do a Kickstarter, try to sell as many as you can, and then ship as many as you can. Um, especially when you have no, like the founding team has no hardware background. Mm-hmm. Trying to ship as many units as you can, as quickly as you can, is kind of a recipe for a meltdown. Uh, so we took how many a- Kickstarters have imploded? How many have succeeded? Goes, you know, yeah, right? I mean, and, and so <laughs> we've taken a fairly deliberate approach. I mean, it's taken us about four years to get to this point where you know, we started with a couple hand-built prototype units, then maybe 10 friends and family, then 30 friends and family. Then we did 500 units paid but discounted priced early adopters about a year ago, mm-hmm. and then just GA now. Uh, to be so, honest, on some of those early ones, it's amazing that you guys didn't kill yourself. It was close. Um, <laughs> it's it's it was pretty close. And there was one moment in particular when uh, I thought Mike, my co-founder, might not come out of my house. But uh, you know, I, it's been interesting. I mean, it's one of the hardest things is uh, kind of dealing with that progression and 
changing your process as you go because building 10 looks nothing like building 100, which looks nothing like building 1,000. And then it's the same thing with like, the team and software and everything else. So, uh, yeah, it's hard but fun. <laughs> That's great. So would you are these only applicable for houses and homes mm -hmm. or are they also usable in apartments where your landlord really wants to make sure that yeah, you that are not overusing uh, your electricity bill? No, I mean, it's a good question. Um, today, I mean, given that we have a small team size, we have to focus on one thing. We can barely have enough people to focus on that one. So we're focused on single family residential homeowners. Uh, I think there's absolutely a business case for apartment buildings. Uh, it's a little bit different because some apartment buildings have panels in each individual unit. Some have one shared across units. And then the ownership of who's buying the device and who cares about the device is a little different. We're focusing on residential now. That's something we'll probably look at in the next couple of years. So did you explore that early on in the process, what your target market was going to be? Yeah. I mean, so when we first started, we the, the whole seed phase of the company was essentially validating the market and validating the technology. Mm -hmm. um, on the market, even though there was a clear ROI case for the commercial and industrial right. segment, our, our mission is really to make a dent in the climate change problem. Mm -hmm. And to get to that, we need large scale, we need ubiquity. And to get to ubiquity, uh, we need to be in like every house and everywhere. And so we figured, like, what's the more likely path? Can we get to ubiquity if we go through like the smaller commercial industrial market or the much larger residential market? And we figured, let's do residential. So from my understanding, just to dial it back, so we like to do eighth grade science level here sometimes. Um, it's, it's about where I'm at. <laughs> uh, Sense Labs, uh, this, it's this about box. It. Just Sense. So yes. the company name okay. is Sense Labs Incorporated, the but the brand of the company, Just Sense. Got it. Sense. Okay, so Sense is tracking your wattage just like you track your calories, like your Fitbit does. You got it. Is there a competitive, can you make this into a game? Is there Not a yet, feature but of that? We, we Gamification. Are, we're, we're working yeah. on that right now. Now, if you just could get them in and show them the comparative amount of power they're using, that the TV uses this much, but lights use this much. Uh, studies have shown that just by showing them that, they'll end up using 10 to 15% less because it's top of mind. And so the next time they're walking by the light switch, they'll, they'll more likely to remember to turn it off. So if we can just get them in, show them the information in some sideways way, they will start changing their behavior. Now we, th we think we can do even better than that by then applying some of the competitive stuff on top. So this is like the O-Power bill, like bill insert you get in your energy bill in the mail that says, this is you, your neighbors, frowny face, you're doing a bad job. Shame, shame, shame. I used to hate that because I was always using 100% more than my neighbors. <laughs> yeah. This is the, the shame technique of making oh, yeah, it do better. Shame. And it, it, Shame. It, it works. Like O Power gets about one percent power reduction just by papering a neighborhood with those leaflets. So we've been in the mode of look, let's just make the technology work and get V one of this product out in there. But the next step is starting to add in some of those dynamic, the competitive dynamics. So we're going to start with you versus your neighbors, you versus other sense users, both whole house, but also by appliance. So this is where your fridge sits between all fridges, efficient fridges, and ones of people that have houses that are somewhere than you. 
But we think we might even take it a step further because, you know, Fitbit is a great example. We look to for a lot of inspiration. If you buy Fitbits for your whole company, you can set it up so when you give them to your employees, they're already added to a leaderboard for people that are in there. So as soon as you activate your Fitbit, you see you versus all of your coworkers. And I think there's a lot that we can do there of like both you individually of the people in your houses, the members of your household, your kids, your spouse, uh, or your roommates of who owns which device to help you own some piece of the house and the bill and you're trying to reduce it or it's your household versus other households that are near you or somewhere to you. Yeah, there's a lot we can do there. We're working on it. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you guys are pulling in a ridiculous amount of information. And part of your challenge is to distill that information and create a front end that people want to use yeah. and that conveys the information accurately, but also affects change, right? Yeah. It, I mean, there's, it is, that's the, the problem is that the amount of data we have is, is enormous. And how do, you, how do you filter it down to the, the pieces that will affect the change versus, I mean, we get, a, as you can imagine, a lot of our current customers are early adopters. So they want things like, uh, very detailed views and they want to see the spectrum, high frequency spectrum of their power. And like nobody even knows what that is. So we're not going to build that into the product. And it's figuring out what that balance is of things that make our current customer set happy, but also the things that we've identified that are affecting change and the things that are useful for people. Like one of the main reasons people buy is to reduce their bill. So what are the tools and features we can add that help them do that? Like that guide them through finding why is my bill $300 a month? So Joe, I was here when you, you kind of first got exposed to Greentown, right, through the Fraunhofer program. I'm interested to know how your impression has changed over time or, you know, what what you find to be most useful or invigorating or anything about Greentown. Uh, you know, the, it sounds trite, but like the, um, the support network here almost, when I first started here, I mean, everybody starts somewhere, right? When you have your, your, your first startup, you try to do your first thing, and there's so much stuff that you don't know. And just to have that, uh, that community here where most of the people, you might be at different stages, but you're not so far removed from the very, very beginning that you don't remember it. So when you're trying to navigate your way through, like, I, how do I go about... I don't know, like talking to VCs, how do I go about finding a contract manufacturer? How do I go about, uh, I mean, there's a million different things that you don't learn in school, that you don't learn if you work for a big company, that you just have, you It's you don't know what you don't know, you know? And so having uh, a dozen or 20 companies here that are all at various stages of, of doing that, there's a lot of brains to pick, and, and people are so willing to give you their time and their info. And Well, and to add on to that, aside from obvious necessary business health, Greentown also supports you. Like, it's, it's a built-in support network mentally and for friends and coworkers. Um, I know Joe here was the first, one of the first people who I actually had a real conversation <laughs> with when I started working at Greentown Labs. And... Uh, to be honest, I moved here like out actually almost a year ago, um, end of February last year. And throughout the entire time, uh, my friends and acquaintances at Greentown Labs have been literally my only constant um, in my life. There's, there's a lot to be said for that, though, because, you know, one of your, your first question was, 
the transition to startup life, taking on more risk, having things be less certain. One of the, like the biggest surprise for me was how the mental effect of that, it is really hard. It's huge. I mean, it, it is. It's big. Not, not having the stability or certainty of the job that's going to be there is actually pretty mentally taxing. So having people around you that you can share that with, vent, have support from, really is, it's critical because otherwise you, it's very easy to get in a rut and feel bad about everything. For so sure. It's, yeah. And, and places like Bolt and Greentown do a great job of getting people around you that are in the same boat and can actually empathize because people that haven't been exposed to that kind of risk or this sort of situation often have a hard time understanding what makes that hard or why that would be very upsetting when things don't quite go your way and you have a really bad week, you know, and how that happens every three days and yep. it goes up and down. <laughs> and, you know, that's just, it's, it's hard for people to see unless they've actually been there. So, yeah, having people yeah. around you that know it is really important. And you asked something I was actually, or you got at something I was actually gearing up to ask with. Before you were working in Starps, how did the expectation match the reality? Like, what was the biggest difference between what you were expecting and, uh, and the reality of working in a startup? The mental part, the mental difficulty of it is, is by far my biggest surprise. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't expect it to be as emotionally difficult as it is because uh, just the swing from we're all geniuses and we're, we're doing the best thing that's ever been done and then I'm an idiot and this is stupid and it's never going to work. The fact that you swing between that like day to day, <laughs> I, didn't, I never expected that. I mean, I thought, I didn't think it would be that volatile. But. Yeah. But it is because you get invested personally in what you're doing and part of like your ego and what you think about yourself gets wrapped up in the thing that you're doing. So then the success of what you're working on starts being your success. And yeah, you end up worrying about that stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it does, for at least for me, it's starting to get better. I'm learning how to manage it a little bit more. And so, okay, like, it's, That's true. The it emotional gets easier. highs and lows is definitely the, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the interesting. surprising part of it. I was a surprise. Yeah. I think one thing we mentioned earlier was part of the reason we're going to start up is having more ownership of the product, but that comes with the downside of you being more emotionally invested in the success. Well, that's like that thing, like you don't, it's very easy to armchair quarterback things, but then when it's actually you responsible for something, it's like, oh shit, I have to deliver it. So it ma- now it matters. And yeah. well, yeah, I mean, that's, I think the, the overused trope of uh, work-life balance, and all, it, it actually is pretty important. I mean, the, the whole like burning the candle at all ends, working 14 hours a day and weekends ends up being counterproductive in the end. So I think it's important that like, team, company, whoever you are, recognizes that and makes space for other things because otherwise you will burn out. You get worse. Like you're not as good when you're working out. And I think that's what, just a, a quick note, that's an important thing I found about, about Sense is because all the, the founders are all 30s and older like you don't you don't have that um almost like that that frat guy mentality of like startups run by 23 year olds that are that are you know 18 20 hour days and stuff and and i don't know it, it's it, like when you have kids and when you have yeah there has to be space there for has stuff. to be yeah. room for other things you know and like not every not every project needs to be a death march like if you've properly scoped and planned and managed something, 
then you should be able to get it done without burning people out. And it's a hallmark of bad management when everything is a death march. So it's... Uh, That's the one thing I've noticed, like being in the start Boston startup scene for the last couple of years now, is that there are like some companies that are founded by young people that haven't had jobs in the real, or I shouldn't say the real world, in in the larger companies or more professional, bit, more settings. professional settings that they miss a lot of this stuff. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, and it's easy to discount it, but it's important. It's very important for, like if, if you want the best out of the people working in a company, like they have to, if, if you're driving somebody 18 hours a day, and it, it just doesn't work. work well. So part of what we're looking to accomplish with this podcast is to humanize a lot of these incredible startup stories. And to do that, we are asking our guests to provide both your scariest times in the startup world, as well as your funniest or happiest or just like, I guess. That moment that made it worth it, right? Right. So far. The one that you think back to when you're struggling. Um, what were your were your two times? Uh, so Vuingo actually ended up powering Samsung's Galaxy S Voice, which is the Siri competitor on all of the Galaxy smartphones. Mm-hmm. And so we had to work a lot with Samsung. And tough customer. Two weeks after my first child, my daughter, Lydia, was born. I was still on paternity leave. I think it was the end of my paternity leave. It was a Friday night. And I was in bed. It was 11 p.m. She'd just gone to sleep. I got a phone call from somebody at work saying, I need you to leave tomorrow to go to Korea to deal with, like, the you know, some customer problem. And, uh, you know, I look over at my wife, and she looks at me, and she's like, fuck no. (laughs) Uh, And so I masterfully was able to make it another 24 hours. I had to leave on Sunday. So, you know, it was a tough situation of just had our first child and you're at home and I should not leave, but the entire company is riding on this account. So it's got to be all hands on deck. We've got to go do it. So this also happened to be the same weekend of the tsunami in Japan. And my flight went through Narita. So when I was at the airport, I was at JFK and I was leaving and there's the sign next to it that's like, well, the State Department says you really shouldn't be traveling through Japan. Now, you can, but there's a travel warning you shouldn't do it. I'm on the phone with my wife. She's crying. She's like, you really shouldn't be doing this. It's terrible. And then I talked to the sales guy who's, who's orchestrating this trip and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm already at the airport. It's no problem. It's not a big deal. we got to go. This is really important. I'm going. So I'm not going to say, no, I can't go. So I go. Stop over in Narita in the lounge. You know, the, the drink in the glass is swishing back and forth because of the aftershocks, and everybody's pretending like there's nothing happening. But people were sleeping in sleeping bags in the airport trying to get out. Get to Korea, everything is fine. We go into the meetings, they're brutal, but Samsung's difficult. We're getting through it. I'm in the uh, mess hall of Samsung and looking at the TV, and the news is on. Can't understand any of it, but I see a picture of the region and I see a cloud with a radiation symbol in the middle of it going from no. Japan over Korea I'm thinking well that doesn't look good There's, that's probably an issue I'm going to ignore it I get upstairs we're in the meeting we're in you know the 20th floor of some building and then F-15s fly by and there's an air raid siren I'm like what the hell is this and they said oh don't worry about that that's just our monthly North Korea preparedness drill and at that point I'm like 
I'm done. I'm out. I'm leaving tomorrow. This trip is over. I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, it's just like the level of stress involved in that whole thing. And I mean, look, we got done when we got needed to get done. But in those moments when, I mean, the company is small, so this one customer took a was very important to us. So you have to deliver and you have to make sure they're happy and they're feeling like you're getting it done. So it takes, at sometimes, extraordinary steps to make them feel that way. And yeah, um, I'm not sure I would do that again, but we, we survived. <laughs> so that was a bit of a low point. Uh, <laughs> you know, high points, I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, like just getting to work with the people that I work with and work on something I really care about and believe in and get to do work that I like uh, is kind of, that alone makes it worth it. I mean, I, I feel like if I were independently wealthy and I didn't have to work at all, this is still probably how I would be spending my time. Like working on a hard technical problem where I get to get my hands dirty and work with great people. I mean, what else would I be doing? I don't know. Uh, but. Definitely when things work and you make customers happy. I mean, so we've had like both like in our beta period when we had a couple people, you know, install the product, get a lot out of it, find things in their house that were wasting a ton of power, they save a lot of money, and you know, write that email that says, uh, is amazing, I can't believe this worked. I saved all this money, this thing is great, thank you. Like those are you feel really good. Like seeing people use the thing you're working on and get a lot of value out of it and be happy, that, you know, I love that. Sweet, that's great. Joe, lows or highs, either or, both? The best is just when I've finally landed someplace awesome at Sense, and, it, and it's like, it's the same, the same as Chris said, it's every day, like ask my wife, like I, I was miserable for years working at, at analog, like just doing, this drudgery, you know, like Chloe had said, uh, doing a nut or doing a bolt and you could leave for six months and it, it would make no difference. You know, you have no impact on anything. And now here, I mean, on it every day, there's something I'm, I'm doing is absolutely making a difference and it's tangible. I can see that, that, Hey, we, we went, like lines down at the at our CM, and I was able to get up there and fix it and get product shipping again, you know. Or we we need to turn out this new design. We have some design changes. Like every every day, you're actually impacting the people around you, and and you're you're working towards a common goal, and you you have a much bigger stake in it, which. Which works, which works for good and for bad, you know? You're, you get emotionally invested in it, and so it can be a little bit of a roller coaster, but, I mean, it's better to feel something than exactly. nothing, right? Like, so you, you know, be, like, it's, feel uh, something with it? Like, yeah, whether it's good it's, or bad, it's, it's better than being numb. Yeah, right? it, it, it is, and, and, and you can get it. So we, we had this, this saying, we called it, like, we were uh, at my old company, the velvet rut. You know, and it's like you get in a place where you could just come in and do your nine to five and you can coast and nothing really happens. You get your paycheck and you can just kind of do whatever and it's comfortable and you don't have to extend yourself or do anything. But I mean, if you brought my wife in here, she would 
say it was a miserable ass for a while. So um, uh, it, it's like every couple of weeks she'll be like, wow, you're just so different now, you know? Really? And it's, That's great. yeah, no, completely. And, and I didn't realize that I was like that, but I mean, it, it, your work environment, it's such a, your, where you work is such a, a significant portion of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, minimum eight hours a day, you know, that's like a third of your your your. If people are assholes, it makes life worse. It does. It does. How have you each found the balance between, and maybe it was super easy for you, maybe it was more difficult, um, and maybe it's changed over time, the balance between what you're good at versus what you're really interested in? I get a lot of enjoyment out of solving problems. And I didn't realize that initially, but that's, I think, what got me into engineering initially is that endorphin rush you get out of, I saw this problem and I got the right answer and it worked. And that same kind of thing can be applied to like business problems and product problems. And how, how do we, if I have this idea and I want to build this thing that does this, how do I get there? And there's a million problems along the way. So that sort of engineering, problem-solving mindset fits really well to the small companies. I was wondering how you address diversity um, within a startup. Um, I personally think that kind of thing is really important, but I also understand that for a startup, it can be really difficult. I'm gonna to I'm gonna jump in time. on this before Chris. Sorry, please. <laughs> um, it's not obvious because we're voice only right here, but I, I'm in a wheelchair, and when. When they interviewed me, the uh, the actual home office isn't isn't handicap accessible. But what they did, so it it's is. Right. We were just trying to keep you out. <laughs> or or that could that could be the case too. But they were unsuccessful. So what's that say about them? Um, the, uh, the it's right in Harvard Square. And uh, when when they were interviewing me, we actually all my interviews were at Shake Shack. Right in Harvard Square, and I I, I went in, in the the second floor of Shake Shack, and what a half dozen of the company came in rotating and interviewed me at Shake Shack, and they actually uh, not only did we need the the space for hardware here at Greentown, but also it was m- mostly my fault because uh, I for the handicap accessibility. So, percent it's really important. Because if it's something that if people don't pay attention to or don't care about, then it will default to being not diverse and homogenous. So it actually takes attention and care to not be that way. It's absolutely true. Um, but, but it's beneficial, too, because they show, like, uh, like Fortune 500 companies with more females on their board and with female CEO. I mean, they outperform other companies. I mean, it's very sure. important. I mean, there's a financial case that you want to – you want a – diverse group of perspectives and backgrounds to be able to inform what you're doing. The, but it, it's, like, it's insidious, the fact that it's really hard not to end up a homogenous group because you end up wanting to hire from your network, which ends up being people that are similar to you. You end up wanting to, like, especially in an engineering field, it's, it's just a, a sea of white dudes. Yes. And, and, and look... There's no easy answer to how you combat that, right? I mean, there's there's issues with the talent pool ends up being predominantly white and male because of whatever institutional reason that that's happening. Uh, but then it becomes like in 
often when hiring, you don't want to bias towards like, okay, well, I'm only going to hire women or I'm only going to hire black people. Like you can't, you're not supposed to make those kind of decisions in hiring, but you still have to be conscious of, I, I don't want to hire people that only look like me. So, you know, I think one, we're just paying attention. So it's when we're making hiring decisions, that is a factor that we are taking into account of we don't want to end up a homogenous group, so we need to pay attention. Two, we're, we're trying our best to actively source from, th there's now finally some, like, Women Who Code is a meetup that happens. There's a... Uh, I just black... bought a whole bunch of t-shirts from to sponsor Girls Who Code, actually. Nice. Yeah. The, uh, that, have, did you guys see the Rogue NASA Twitter account? I have, and yes. I really want a t-shirt from so them, too. All the, on, on Cotton Bureau, all the, they have two Rogue NASA t-shirts, and all the profits go to um, uh, Girls Who Code and the Robotics First stuff oh, to cool. like for a so i and bought they're really cool i bought two t-shirts myself i bought two for my kids i bought the pins i bought the patches <laughs> i was like i am fully supportive of like any science-based charitable contributions i can make for sure you know, side note so, sorry for interrupting no no but it's 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 important to support and then engage with groups like that to try to find people that are going to be different than you uh, there's the uh, this one black engineering uh, jobs board that's trying to do a good job of providing like a resume book of black engineers that that so when we're looking for specific positions we go post job listings there we get the resume book we try to pull from as many sources as we can instead of just network or just Stack Overflow or just whatever the you know local thing is. And we will definitely be posting the link to that Black Engineers job posting board on our website. <laughs> and, check it out. And look, it's like, I still feel it's still, even though we're putting a lot of energy and attention into trying to ensure that we are a diverse group, I mean, we're still finding it really hard. It's a difficult it, problem, like, for sure. The, the combination of the network effect of the people you know end up being just like you. And especially when you're small, hiring within network is so much better because you can trust and you can vouch it's for vetted people and they're pre-vetted. So there's a, there's a heavy bias towards that. Then your investors, it's the same thing where the pre-selected group they have are not very diverse. So it takes a lot of effort and we're trying our best. Uh, but... I think we still have a long way to go, and I think there's still we're just at the beginning of the kinds of tools and things that we need to be able to attack the problem. I'm super happy. Yeah, I'm glad we asked that question. Just, <laughs> yeah. just one, one last addendum. So, wh what's the what do you wish was out there? Is it more groups where that you could go to to expand your network? The thing I feel like is missing in our day-to-day -day hiring is something that will connect us to people that could fill these jobs because. There's every one of the events that I've gone to so far of the uh, hiring networking events are people that are just out of school or switching careers that have no experience. And as an early stage company, it's very hard to hire junior people because you have to spend a lot of time and energy mentoring. You need people that are effective and can contribute from day one. Uh, so the meetups and sorry, the hiring events are usually junior. And then 
senior people that are looking typically are on the market. So there's something in the middle there that's missing of, so anybody that wants to start a startup, and fix I, that problem. <laughs> it could be that those middle people are, are in that velvet rut, you know, and it, and it takes like... Well, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of the best people just aren't looking. And so that, that's why there's a market for recruiters, but recruiters are expensive. You're going to spend twenty five dollars to $50,000 to place somebody, and that's a lot of money for an early stage company. So, you know, I think to get to... To be able to hire a more diverse workforce, you need a larger applicant pool. And so there needs to be some way to solve that that's not, you know, $35,000 per candidate. Yeah, and I mean, also, I, I, a thing that we've run into is, like, the, the prevailing rates, like, Silicon Valley versus Boston is, is, is difficult to... The, the rising salary thing is just... Yeah. But Silicon Valley also has a high, much higher cost of living than Boston. Well, but the thing that we've run into here is that like Amazon and Facebook and Google are losing people to like interesting, fun startup companies. So they're now paying people exactly enough to not consider any other job offer. Like they've priced themselves way beyond what we could pay, just at the right point that they wouldn't be willing to leave. And that's that's also been a challenge. Like they're they're sucking a lot of the air out of the market with these really high salaries. Interesting. Do you feel the same way about GE coming to Boston? I mean, I'm actually I'm excited for them to be here for the opposite reason is that I think there's a lot of opportunities for small companies to partner with them mm-hmm. with things, and I think them being here will provide a lot of access to that. Um, yeah, there might be some a little bit of brain drain, but I think that's going to be more than offset where. Like the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, they're not really contributing back much other than a few companies that they might acquire, most of which that aren't from Boston. Uh, Optimistic about... I think GE's a positive. I'm optimistic with GE, yeah. I think GE's a positive, for sure. That's my impression, too. That's been the general impression of most of our guests. I think everybody's pretty pumped. Yeah. It's it's also new, so we haven't seen anything yet. So it's a lot easier to be optimistic (laughs) when it's early days, but yeah. All right. Well, I think it's I think it's wrap up time. Thank you both so much for a wonderful conversation. Sure Definitely. thing. Definitely. Um, we really loved having you on. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, and in the show notes, you will find show notes. You will find more um, about Sense as well as all of the companies that they've mentioned. It's my first um, podcast, actually. Crushing it. You could have fooled me, Joe. Wow. Yeah, an old pro. <laughs> and if you would like to support the show. Please tell a friend, tweet about us, or subscribe on iTunes Podcast. Um, it's official. We are we are live on iTunes, and we update every... We post a new episode every first and third Monday of the month. Um, so please, please, please subscribe and review. Um, I have, <laughs> I have a challenge. I have a challenge. I have a challenge. So if you if you go on and give us a five star review, which is very important for our discoverability, you can name a dance, like you know one of uh, oh, Beyonce's Jesus. dances or any kind of dance, and uh, Chloe and I will do our our best rendition of that dance for. Please for don't choose a Beyonce dance. Oh no, we're ready. We got. No, it. Okay, I'll, handle, I'll handle. I'll handle. 
I'll handle all Beyonce requests, and then. How about uh, you name a drink and Chloe and? We've Joe already done that one. <laughs> like, were we supposed to do martinis tonight? We I, thought, were. I thought we were supposed to do martinis. We were. In exchange, in order to bribe you for your five stars, name a dance, hip hop or any kind of dance, and uh, Chloe and I will um, put the original artists to shame with our amazing moves. Right, Chloe? If you say so. <laughs> you should funny. note, I love Beyonce, so please do not give me a Beyonce dance because I will feel so horrible. <laughs> um, so please, please, please send us your suggestions, get in touch, visit talkcleanpodcast.com um, and tweet at us. We are at talkcleanpod on both Instagram and Twitter or email us at contact at talkcleanpodcast.com. Cool. All right, well, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thanks. The real question is, what were the books that they were sent? Oh yeah, you like, know, when you're picking I someone up and trying to impress them, what do you go with? I mean, I is it Harry Potter or is it Plato's Republic? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's a well ways you could go there. It's I was so annoyed shades. at being interrupted in my book that I honestly <laughs> I don't <it> remember. <laughs> Pure rage.